Blog Talk Radio. Today we're going to chat with author Todd McCaffrey. He's an author who has done many books, um, both with his famous mother and by himself. He's also one of the judges for Writers of the Future, um, and it's a really fun chat. Here's Todd. Hi, Todd. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) How is the weather in Vegas? We're dealing with a little bit of chill. Uh, there's snow up in the mountains, but it's pretty good. The thing with Vegas, though, is when the wind really gets going, it gets really cold and bitter, and that happens sometimes. Yeah, but people forget it's good. the desert. <laughs> and that's yeah. why yeah. it gets really cold there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's uh, I'm I, you know I moved to to Vegas like four years ago, almost four years ago now. Um, and I never intended to be in Vegas, but I moved from a two-bedroom apartment to a four-bedroom house, and I'm paying the same amount in rent. That's kind of a huge incentive. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and, and Vegas is kind of like Los Angeles, except with Los Angeles, there's no there there. You know, there's no center, really, to Los Angeles. Um, but with Vegas, there's the downtown strip center. But the minute you're away from that, all that that glamour and glitz is gone and you've got people who are you know, earning a living um, so it's quite an interesting place uh, and the, I mean the one thing that, that separates it is pretty much anywhere is about half an hour away from anywhere else whereas in, when I lived in Los Angeles it was kind of like you know, it was an hour commute each way to work um, and the other thing is this is one of the food capitals of the world so we get amazingly good restaurants it is so much fun that's interesting, because that's like San Diego. And one of the things I noticed when I moved here is that wherever you are, it's up, it was 15 minutes away from everything else instead of a half hour. <laughs> well, well, I like San Diego, but it does seem to be more expensive than Vegas by a lot. It, it depends. I so. mean, I live in the suburbs, so I don't live in downtown, uh-huh. you know. Although, like you said, it actually has a center, and San Diego's downtown is really nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I've been to, you know, many Comic-Cons now, and so I've seen the, the Gaslight Sector and the, the uh, you know, other parts of that, and I, you know, I, I've been to the local science fiction convention there, ContorCon, uh, a number of years, so I've sort of seen San Diego. It's nice, but, and, and I'm not going to argue with you about which city is cooler, uh, <laughs> but I was pleasantly surprised by Vegas. I have relatives who live there in Vegas, but yeah. I know all about yeah. it. I hear about it all the time. I have um, yeah. a, an uncle and cousins who live there, 
also yeah. very well aware of how nice it is. I'm just saying that San Diego's nice too. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, but I'm so an ex of Los Angeles, so believe me, I understand. And it, uh, Los Angeles has changed. I've only lived here for six years, but Los Angeles has changed so much that um, before um, what's going on with COVID and everything. My brother and I used to go um, all the time to um, visit first my father who passed away and then my mom who passed away, and they're both buried in L.A., and every time yeah. we went to, like, afterwards, we would go to lunch somewhere in the valley because that's where we grew up, and it's changed yeah. so much we can't find a restaurant that we know. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, it changes quickly. Los Angeles has its own charm. I, oh, yeah. I would not diss Los Angeles. No, it's except, my home. <laughs> yeah, everybody everybody sort of thinks of Los Angeles as Hollywood, and Los Angeles mm-hmm. is so much more than that. Uh, I, I wrote about it when I wrote L.A., my, my artificial intelligence story, uh, which is at some levels of also a love letter, to, love letter to Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, try saying that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I love the energy in Los Angeles. There's always there's just sort of that frisson of creative energy there, uh, and people tend to forget it. Uh, the big problem, though, with L.A. is it, it sprawls and traffic is unbearable. Yeah, it's worse uh, now than it's ever been. I, I, I mean, you, traffic's always been bad in L.A. There's just, you, they can yeah. keep building freeways and roads, and it's always, there's going to be more cars. Because yeah. um, people are always going there. Uh, the only yeah. time it kind of calmed down, and this is a terrible thing to say, was after the Northridge earthquake. Was yeah. because well, everybody was, left that wasn't yeah. like a native, like us. Uh, <laughs> well, I was I was there for the Northridge quake. I was five miles from the epicenter, uh, so it is it is ingrained in my memory. Yes. Uh, it was the worst quake. I've been through two major quakes. That was the worst one. That was the worst one I've ever lived through. Yeah. I was in, uh, oh, God, where was I? Um, Woodland Hills. Uh, so, yeah, not too far from the epicenter. Anyway, but, you know, this is sort of looked, I, I think every everywhere you live has its own problems and disasters looming. Uh, you know, Los Angeles, it's earthquakes. Um, you know, other places, it's hurricanes or, or tornadoes or whatever. Uh, it's just sort of, you you know, you pays your money, you takes your choice. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, is that one other thing is w- after the earthquake, a lot of people left to go to other places. And I'm, I try to talk one of my girlfriends out of uh, moving to the Midwest because I live there. When I was a little yeah. girl, we lived in Ohio, and there's tornadoes every single year. So yeah. you're giving up L.A. that has earthquakes every 20 years or so to move to a place that has tornadoes every single year. And I said, besides, this is a volcanic planet. There's nowhere you can go to hide from disaster. <laughs> well, it's challenging. You know, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been some earthquakes out here, even in Vegas. I mean, Vegas isn't so far away that if the big one goes, we won't be feeling it. Oh, I know. Uh, but but it's it's milder. Uh, you know, and yeah, you know, the Northridge quake was something you'll never forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this happens, uh, and it's part of life. I mean, it's kind of like you know we we were talking before we started about COVID and. 
We've been lucky for over a century. We haven't had a major pandemic, and now we got one. And compared to what it could be, it's a lot better than, you know, the horrors that could have come. So, you know, we're complaining now because it's it's causing an impact in our lives and our lifestyles. But I think in the long term, it's going to be really good for us. It's kind of a warning, you know, that we need to be prepared and we need to not forget that, you know, we've been lucky for 100 years. Let's be lucky for another 200. What the heck? Uh, and see what happens. Well, I also think it also is a reminder, because it's been a worldwide disaster, yep. that we're all one planet. This planet yep. is all we have, and all we have is each other. And I don't mean just in our country. I mean the whole world. All we have is each other. And you can't hide from stuff. You can say that you can say you can. You can say you're separatists and all that stuff, and but you can't. It's gonna. It, it, we're one planet. It's just gonna hit you sooner or later when it's a pandemic like this. You can't. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> yeah, I uh, of course you know I'm a science fiction writer, so I want to change this situation. I've recently been looking at uh, our what we've been doing in space and it's kind of amazing to realize that the International Space Station is 20 years old mm-hmm. uh, but the ISS is a microgravity space station uh, and one of the things we've learned in those 20 years is that human beings can't survive at all in a, a zero-g environment um, we're going to have to have some level of gravity we don't quite know how much lunar gravity might be enough but it's got me thinking that one of the things we should be doing is building a proper rotating space station, what, what most people have been calling a Von Braun space station, uh, you know, like 2001, and really build one of those things. And, and I'm, the more I think about it, the more I think it's one of the next big steps we uh, should take, particularly as Americans, uh, because if we build ourselves a, a fully functioning space station, we build it to be self-sufficient, we're going to learn so much more about recycling and sufficiency and environments uh, that we can bring back to Earth and use to improve the way we do things. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of beginning to launch my little campaign to get us a, a rotating space station as the first of many up there. Um, so that's my, my space kick right now. Okay, I can go with that. That sounds cool. Good. I'm I'm all yeah. for it. You got a boat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, well, I was raised by a father who was a space nut, and he woke us up. I was about five. My brother was three when John Glenn went around. He woke us up so we could see the dot in the sky. He took us outside on the patio so we could point out the dot. Yeah. So you will never forget that you saw a man in a capsule going by. All I remember is this little white dot. It looked like a little white moon going across. But, yeah. <laughs> but it was that, a big was cool. deal to my father. <laughs> well, I, uh, I remember... There's a couple of things I remember. One of the first things that I that I really turned me on about Los Angeles was when I discovered the um, Saturn rocket engine, the F1 engine, 
that was put on that is on display at Canoga Park. Uh, you know, you go by it, and, and my kid used to call it the robot. Uh, but it's just sort of so cool to look at that. And when I know the exactly where that on, is. That was right by where I went to school. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. When that well, I used to live near there. So when the shuttle went by, um, or, or was still flying, I, I a number of times I, I took the initiative and ran out to Edwards to watch it land. Uh, and usually, because traffic, you know, it's it's about 90 minutes to get from where I was to Edwards, and we didn't know whether it was going to land at Edwards or at one of the alternates until an hour before it was supposed to do it. So I had to guess. 30 minutes before I would know whether or not it was actually going to do it. But it was it was so much fun. And when you watch the landing, there's all sorts of people come out to watch it. There's campers there and everything. And there's this, this not quite party atmosphere, but it's kind of a, you know, we did this atmosphere. Mm -hmm. uh, I did the same thing when um, Rutan did the uh, Spaceship One when it did its first big, big uh, launch way back when, 2005, I want to say. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a diehard space nut and always have been. Uh, glad, glad to meet a fellow space nut. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's good. Second generation. My daddy met Albert Einstein. Oh wow, my dad did too. My dad went to Princeton, so. Uh, it wasn't yeah. in class, he was a little boy. He was, yeah. he, he, okay, it's kind of cute. They used to have a science fiction club. In uh, uh, in the boroughs, and uh -huh. and all the different science fiction clubs were brought together at the library, uh, the major library in New York. I can't remember what the name of it was, and the big public library there, the one that has the lions in front. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't know who they were going to see, and they were brought back, and it was Albert Einstein, and he he was only supposed to talk for a half hour, but he was there with them for two hours. Wow. Well, that is cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, I, I, I think you and I are on the same sheet of music in, in that science fiction people tend to be the sort of people that are looking to tomorrow. Uh, they're, they're concerned about the future. They think aliens are cool and we should meet them. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the joys of science fiction. Uh, I mean, I think that the... The seminal, the, the first book that I read that was science fictional was Space Cat by Ruth and Todd, and I was all of nine. I actually have got copies of those books again. There were four of them. Uh, and now that I'm older, they're terrible. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, when you're a nine-year-old and it's your first space book, it's good. Uh, but as you get older, not so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it, it, was, it was fun. My next thing, of course, I did a whole Heinlein run. Um, and that was cool. Uh, started with Time for the Stars, which is still a book I go back to. Um, recently, because I love it so much, and it has just made the ALA core list, the American Library Association's core list of books, uh, this really marvelous guy named Carlos Hernandez has got two books out. The first one is Saul and Gabi Break the Universe. I mean, you got to read a title like that. <laughs> and then the next one is Saul and Gobby Fix the Universe, and it's set in Miami, and our hero is a Cuban-American, and we have 
some Spanish splurted around in the book, so it's not just English, you know, so if you've been studying Spanish, you're going to love it. And if you haven't been studying Spanish, they translate enough of it. Um, and he's very, he's very science fiction, and he's also very fantasy, um, but they have AI cars and stuff like that, and it is just a blast. Uh, you know, so this is my plug for Carlos Hernandez, Saul and Gabi break the universe. If you buy that one, you're going to buy the sequel. Uh, That's but a cool. lot, a lot of fun. What was the uh, what was the first book on? you? I'm sorry. What was the first book you remember reading? First book I remember reading would have been Space Cat. Uh, you know, there may have been some before, but Space Cat is the one that stuck. You know. Also, at the same time, uh, do you remember the wonderful flight to the Mushroom Planet? No. <gasps> that was not in oh our God. lexicon, sorry. <laughs> you, you do not know the wonderful flight to the Mushroom Planet? Oh, my goodness. That was a, a Scholastic book. You know, Scholastic was, was very big that way. Um, it's uh, it's probably, I'm looking it up right now. There you go. The wonderful flight to the Mushroom Planet series. The first one was good. The second one, not so good. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't as good as the first one. But a lot of this, you know, when you get when you get to books, okay, oh my God, I didn't know that. So the author's name is Eleanor Cameron. I'm looking it up on on Amazon while we speak. It's still in print. You can get it in paperback. Sadly, you can't get an ebook. I'm going to order a copy. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's Stowaway to the Mushroom Planet. But the wonderful flight to the Mushroom Planet was marvelous because it had. It did weird right. Um, you know, sometimes people, and, and when I say weird, I don't mean it in a pejorative way. I mean it as um, that sense of wonder you get when something's out of kilter. Uh, and you go, oh, that's weird. And then you find out more and more. Um, and it is, if you have not read The Wonderful Flight to the Mushroom Planet, it's for ages 8 to 12 years, um, you should go pick it up. <laughs> you're, you're missing something. But not until you've read Saul and Gobby um, Break the Universe. Uh, and then you'll read Saul and Gobby Fix the Universe because they're really good books. Um, that actually came out. Carlos Hernandez is one of the authors uh, that's presented as part of Rick Riordan Presents, or Rick Riordan Presents. Uh, and Rick Riordan, as you probably well know, uh, is the guy who did the Percy Jackson series, the which I series. have read and do love. <laughs> yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna love. As far as I'm concerned, Saul and Gobby is actually maybe, and I've never met Mr. Riordan, but and I hope will forgive me, but it may actually be a little bit better. Um, I'm, I'm, and apparently, Carlos Fernandez knows the science fiction community. He's going to be up at the virtual Bosco. Um, so, but this is all sort of preparatory for what we're, why we're here, which is, of course, the Writers of the Future. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, this ties right on in because the Writers of the Future uh, is a contest that allows new authors to submit short stories online for free uh, and be judged and, and win big prizes. Uh, well, reasonably big prizes, but and be published in the Writers of the Future anthologies. Uh, and that is super, super cool. Uh, a lot of amazingly great writers have been discovered there. So I, uh, 
I'm, you know, that's kind of why we're talking today. I, yes, I am we are talking today about that. Um, well, I was yeah. going to chat about you a little bit before we started talking about Writers of the Future, but if you want to talk about Writers of the Future, they're kind of the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was invited to become a Writers of the Future um, following in my mother's footsteps, which is kind of cool and an honor. Uh, and I've uh, been, God, how long now? Nine years? Yeah, no, 10 years. Coming up on 10 years, I've been a judge. Uh, and uh, it's been a lot of fun and amazing, some some absolutely amazing stories there. Uh, and if you're thinking of writing something and you haven't been published yet, you should go there first. Uh, Orson Scott Card, who's another judge, has actually said that. You know, if you're going to submit anywhere, submit to Writers of the Future first. Uh, and I actually, I, I implored one of my friends who's been doing art for a while, I said, you should submit to writer to illustrators of the future, which is the other side of things. And he did, and we didn't hear anything. I thought, oh, well, darn. And then, like, three months after that, we got, oh, you've won. Uh, so I now have a friend who is an illustrator of the future because I pushed him into doing it. So those of you who are listening out here thinking of writing, finish what you write, send it in to Writers of the Future. If you want to know the sort of stuff they're looking for, pick up one of the anthologies and read it. My ass. Which, yeah. uh, you said you, you were a winner. What was the uh, book that you, <clears throat> could you give the full title of the book that you won in? Do you remember? No, no, I wasn't a winner. Oh, I thought you were actually a winner, too. That's because you no, said no, you no, inherited I, I said from I your mom. A, I got a friend of mine to submit to illustrators of the future. Oh, I'm sorry. And I misunderstood you. Yeah, he's, he's going to be in one of the future books to come out. Uh, you know, unfortunately, COVID has, has stopped everybody from meeting together, and some things work great virtually, and some things just don't. Award ceremonies are kind of... I don't know. I mean, the, the, the writers of the future and illustrators of the future have this amazing, usually yearly award ceremony, which is almost like the Oscars. I mean, they have they have not just the awards being given out. They have little uh, sketches and choreography and other things sort of usually following along with the, the concept of one of the stories. Uh, and it's just an amazing night. Uh, and... You know, I'm happy to be, as a judge, I get to be out there and, and spend the, the week workshop with the authors and the illustrators, and then also to present the awards to them. So it's it's amazingly cool, and, and a lot of the past winners are now actually judges for both writers and illustrators of the future, which makes it super awesome. But no, I, I, I heard about it about the time it launched uh, was about the time I got published. Um, my publication history is very weird. You know, I've been reading science fiction since, you know, for a very long time now, since at least the third grade, uh, probably earlier. Uh, but, and, and of course, I happen to have a rather famous mother, uh, Anne McCaffrey, who wrote the Dragon Riders of Pern series, so I w I've been reading that and all her other stuff. Uh, but I came through into science fiction by myself. Uh, going back to Space Cat by Reuven Todd uh, at the same time I was starting to read that book Mom got The Ship Who Sang the short story The Ship Who Sang published in the magazine of, fi the magazine of fantasy and science fiction 
which everybody abbreviates to FNSF, which is why I have such a hard time giving you the full name. Um, but she was published in FNSF, and the cover they had for that particular issue was a banana floating in a field of stars, you know? Um, and so she showed me that, said, you can read my story. And I had Space Cat, which is the old three-fin spaceship, uh, when I say old, it's now become new because Elon Musk is building it with his starship. Uh, but that old one and a cat in a bubble helmet spacesuit, you know, walking on the moon. So banana floating against the star field, cat walking on the moon. Which cover's going to get you, huh, <laughs> when you're nine? You know, it was, a, it was just a no-brainer. I was like, no, you lose. Um uh, but, of course, years later, I came back and read the ship is saying, and I read that issue of FNSF, and Mom's story wasn't the only one there. That was where the first version of Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes appeared, uh, which is an absolutely amazing story and became a okay movie. Um, so I have been reading science fiction for forever. I started in the teen thing, you know, when I was turning a teenager. Actually, I earned my first typewriter by teaching myself to touch type so that I could write stories on my own. Uh, now, when you're writing, and, and this sort of has to do with, with, you know, ages and stages and how you grow up and everything. When, when you're a kid, the stories you generally tend to tell are, you know, you-centered. It's like, and I'm the ruler of the entire galaxy and everybody's bowing down to me and stuff like that because that's the way you tell stories. And then later on, you start bringing your friends in. You know, you can be a minion. Aren't you lucky, you know? You can go make the mud pies. Um, the usual good stuff you do with your friends, and then after a while, you start realizing that, that the world is bigger than just you, and you get to share. Um, and and so you start, you know, crafting more and more stories. But when you're 13 or 12 and you're writing stories, you generally tend to, unless you've read an insane amount as a kid, you generally tend to write stories that are all going to be similar. Um, just because you're building your, your, your writing chops. Um, so I wrote the usual tomato surprise story. A uh, classic example of tomato surprise is the original Planet of the Apes, where they're coming back from a space trip and they land on this planet, and they don't recognize anything. <coughs> Excuse me. And apes have, are, are speaking and all this, and finally at the very end they discover uh, the ruins of the Statue of Liberty and they realize that no, they have not come to a new planet. They've been on Earth this whole time. Dum dum dum. You know, so tomato surprise story. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but people go through these phases. What is the uh, name? Well, the uh, book and the uh, number of the uh, award that you were judging for. Oh, I've been judging. You know, on and off the, the the one. I'm not quite sure where you're going with that question. The I mean, latest you know, you one. What's the one that people can pick up? Oh, uh, the latest one you can pick up looks like volume 36. Um, which, because you know everybody. Hang on, I'm I'm typing in things because of the marvelous world we live in right now, our world of lockdown. Oh wait a minute, there's a. It looks like there's a 37 up already. Uh, no. Um, yeah, it looks like Rise of the Future 36 is the latest. Um, there will be a 37 and probably a 38 coming up. Um, but 
they've got a you know it's the whole the way they do this and you're familiar but for everybody else who might not be with writers of the future every year they gather 12 stories into a volume the illustrators of the future illustrate those 12 stories and that's very rare to get an illustrated story but in this thing you actually get illustrated stories and usually nowadays they're throwing in color versions of the illustrations either as tippins in a separate color section or in front of the story I don't know how they're doing it this time uh, but every year they print the Rise of the Future the new volume they do this amazing award ceremony where they first launch the book that's the first time you can buy the book uh, so and, and I can't speak directly for writers of the future because I'm just a judge not the people that run it uh, but I suspect that because they can't have the awards ceremony they don't really want to just sort of launch the book all by itself and I, I don't blame them because there's a lot of joy and, and just amazing stuff in that the current version the current latest one which was published April 2020 uh, is Writer of the Future, Volume 36. Uh, now, if you want to go back in time, it's probably still available. You can go to Writer of the Future, Volume 35. This is shameless plug time, by the way. Uh, in Volume 35, one of the judges... No, sorry, it's 34. I'm wrong. 35 is another great one, but I was in 34. I was asked to write a story for... or to provide a story for uh, Writer of the Future, Volume 30... Wait a minute. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was. All right, we're gonna we're gonna pause on that. Uh, maybe it was 35. Uh, but yeah, I actually had a short story in that. But the latest one is 36. Uh, we're coming up to 37. Um, I may not be. And there it is. I'm sorry. I was. I wrote a short story in volume 33. I would recommend if you're looking at these and you want to look at the latest, go with volume 36. Um, there's a lot of great short stories there. I mean, people who've, who've had their career start include such amazing people as Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is a judge. I can't remember if he was a winner. I think he might have been. Eric Flint, who's written the great, the amazing 1632 series, started off as a Red Future winner, and he's now a judge as well. Uh, it's, it's just, it is just a box of awesome. And if, I mean, even... As a, as a writing prompt because you can submit once a quarter if you were just to say well I'm going to write one short story every quarter and submit it to Rage of the Future that would just move your craft along so well uh, and it, the thing is as writers people think oh they're writers they, they only care about this but every writer I know who's worth their salt started off as a reader we started reading, and, and at some point we either said, gee, I want to write something, or I can write better than that. Uh, but but that's what actually moved us forward, uh, is this notion. And we love reading new stuff. We love finding great books and curling up with them. And so Rise of the Futures to us is a chance. It's, it's, it is actually you know very self-serving. It's a chance for us to, get, to encourage and get new writers, uh, which we love, and new illustrators, which is also cool. So... Um. We're coming to the end of the show. I want to give you time to talk about your book. Do you have a new book coming out? Uh, I am. Uh, COVID, our marvelous little, you know, it lurks in the back of our heads thing that will go away at some point. We'll go. I, I'm looking forward to the point when we have to describe to kids why we were, we're wearing masks, you know. Uh, it's like, Mommy, why were you wearing a mask? Uh, 
but it slowed things down. I'm working with two very cool authors, uh, the Winter Twins, who are identical twins, and we've come up with a series called the Twin Soul series, uh, and we've been working to get, trying, targeting a book a month. Um, they're novellas, so they're shorter, they're a short read, uh, and we're working on book 20 in the series right now. <coughs> I am working on a couple of projects of my own, which are sort of moving behind that. Um, you know, getting getting the steam up with all that's been going on in this world has been been harder this year than or last year than I would have liked. I think this year I'm I'm getting ready to get back on the rocket ship. Uh, so I have a number of books out, uh, which I've been having fun with, and people have been sort of saying you should be writing sequels to this. I have uh, the Jupiter Game, and I have L.A., uh, and then I have my alternate history young adult. Uh, the Steamwalker. Um, right now I'm working on one. The, the start of it is that our heroine has been assigned to the most boring starship in the entire fleet. She has been assigned to the fleet's laundry ship. Um, <laughs> His Majesty's auxiliary ship, Sparkle. And things go downhill from there. Um, so I've been having a lot of fun with that one. But I have a number of books in my head that are sort of rattling around and telling me to write them, and we're working on that. We're having a conversation. You know? Well, maybe I'll write you. Maybe I won't. Um, <laughs> but mostly, I'll write you. Just hang on. You know, it's kind of like I'll get to you. Um, so I've got a. I I uh, have looked at. Um, I've got about ten on my list right now that I want to write. Uh, and I'm sort of pushing back into them, including finishing off the, the one with, with uh, Sparkle, the laundry ship. Uh, so, yeah, I've been charging on. It's, it's been fun. Cool. And uh, are you having any virtual events that are coming up that you'd like to let the fans know about? No, not so much. Um, I have a newsletter. If you go to toddmccaffrey.org, which ends up being pernhome.com slash djm, but just go to toddmccaffrey.org. It'll be much easier to find. Uh, I've got a newsletter, and I send out announcements and stuff like that on a, on a semi-regular basis. Um, and the Twin Soul series has also got a newsletter that goes out on a less semi-regular basis. Uh, but uh, no, I, well, no, actually, I think I'm going to be um, doing a panel uh, with uh, LTUE, the Life, the Universe, and Everything, in a virtual convention. But beyond that, uh, the situation remains fluid. And what virtual convention is that? Uh, which, uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything is, is it LTUE.org? Let me go look. Life, the Universe, and Everything is a really cool convention that was set up, I think, at Brigham Young University first. Um, and, yes, it is. So, LTUE.net, I'm wrong. Life, the Universe, and Everything Symposium Online. So, it's sort of, it, it's more, um, rare, what I want to say, it's, it's more writer-oriented or more creative-oriented than, than a lot of the other conventions. It's still, you know, it's still a convention, but it has an art track, an academics track, a book track, an editing track, a gaming track, of course, professional development, 
theater and media arts. It has all sorts of cool stuff in it, and it's usually up. Well, now it's virtual, uh, but it's usually up. Well, so the 11th to the 13th, so coming up of February, um, and it's usually up around Salt Lake City. So, but it's a lot of fun. Um, so, if you have not heard of LTUE.net, you should go have a look. Uh, LTUE again, Life, the Universe, and Everything which is a reference to um, Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Cool. And uh, so people can say hi. What is your social media? Do you have, like, handles on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? I have handles on, yes, I do. Uh, let me go see if I can remember them. <laughs> on Facebook, um, you can catch me as Todd McCaffrey. Um, Twitter, what am I? I think I'm Todd underscore McCaffrey at Twitter. Um, and am I Todd Fire on Facebook? Hang on. Not Todd Fire. Uh, on Instagram. See that most of the social media I do on my cell phone, or, or I have my accounts on my cell phone. Obviously, with Instagram, you kind of you are on your cell phone. That's kind of all there is to it. Um, and I'm trying to find out. That's just rude. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, hang on. Uh, no, it, Instagram is kind of weird because it's like, who? how do I look at me? How do I find out who I am so I can tell? Oh, there I am. Let me click on this button. Todd underscore McCaffrey is how to get to me in Instagram. And I've been doing, um, I mean, I should, should mention that I actually have a Master of Fine Arts in Fine Art. Um, so recently I've been doing some, some fun little um, photo montages kind of weird and out there photo montages and you can see them on Instagram and on Facebook so I am you know like actually let me just mention this one of my co-authors uh, Brianna Winner uh, once said something I think is really worth repeating which is why I'm really repeating it uh, which is if you're creative you're creative in everything you're not actually limited. You're not, you know, just a writer. You can be a, a writer and an artist and an actor and everything because it's creativity is your ability, not your ability to create words. Uh, and people, a lot of people sort of limit themselves on that. They don't realize that. Um, so I, you know, I spent a lot of my life not being an artist uh, and only in the past, really the past decade, I started exploring art and, art and my artistic side uh, and uh, finally got myself a Master of Fine Arts from Claremont Graduate College in 2018, 2016? 2016, I think. Uh, and that's, that's worth it. So again, if you're, if you're creative at all, my advice would be explore it. You know, don't, don't say, oh, I can only write poetry or only can only do that. Uh, you may find that you just haven't tapped it. I mean, when we're kids, a lot of people don't encourage us enough to be artistic and creative, uh, and we miss it. And as we get older, it's worth coming back and looking at it. It may be that, you know, we decided or you decided that you weren't good at something because what people were telling you at the time was just didn't motivate you enough to work in it. So... I, I encourage everybody to, to explore their creativity, even if it's just for themselves. Terrific. Um, thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank you for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.
Production note. The book that Todd was referring to was L. Ron Hubbard, Writers of the Future, Volume 36.